0: Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Rob Moore here with a disruptive edition, something completely different. I'm actually, for the first time, going to read you an entire chapter out of one of my books. Now, before you go, oh, I've read my books, the good news is this is a book you have not read yet because this is my new book. Don't get too excited. It's probably not coming out for a few months. I feel like I've been writing it since 1942. In fact, I feel like I've been writing it before Napoleon Hill wrote his book, Think and Grow Rich. The book is called Money, The Story and Psychology, How to Make More, Grow More and Give More. I'm currently nearly 700 pages in and I'm not finished. And we're, what, 50... This, is, this will be chapter 46 out of about 53 chapters. It's the raw first edition. I really think it can add a lot of value to you. So in a moment, I'm going to read it word for word. Now, I just would like to get a few sort of little preliminary... Uh, lead-ins to this. So number one is this is like my fifth go. I'm really shit at reading word for word. So I'm probably just going to let myself do it. And if I mess up, I'll just correct myself and carry on going. So it probably won't be perfect. It's funny how I can get public speaking world records just for running my mouth off. But as soon as you give me something to read on a page, it's a challenge to me. The next thing is that this is a subject I believe can make the biggest difference in your financial, emotional, spiritual, if you want to go there, and your business life. And it's about pricing, pricing and value. It's all the things that, all the objections, the stories, the lifestyles, the choices, the beliefs, the emotions, the decisions that manifest into a price, you know, the price that you pay for the products and services and information that you share. Now, I suppose this book has been 10 years in the writing and making, because if I'd have written this 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to write a book very good about money other than how not to make it and how not to have any. Uh, and now that I've been both sides of the fence where I've been really skint, also, I've had a business as an art, artist where it's like the most subjective, subjective subjective thing ever. I mean, if you think about it, someone could charge 75 or 75 million for the same size canvas. And uh, it's such a subjective thing. And, and I really struggled with that. And uh, I think there's a lot we can learn from art in business around pricing and value. And uh, I'm going to share a lot in this chapter. And... If you think about it, from a common sense point of view, like a, an, an unemotional logistical operation point of view, the most obvious thing you can do to make more money and make more margin is to increase your prices. Sometimes a 10% increase in price doubles your profit. So it can be a 100% increase in profit, as you'll learn when I read the chapter. And so, you know, my job is to deliver disruptive information to you that can make the biggest difference in your business, and your enterprise. And therefore, pricing is that thing. Now, you might recall about four months ago, I did a caffeine cast on um, pricing and when and how to raise your prices. And in kind of very fast, true Rob style, I just went bish-bash-bosh and listed a load of things about pricing and value, which, you know, you could take on into your prices and maybe increase them. But this is a real deep dive into all the facets of pricing and value and uh, a convincing argument as to how you can safely through testing or just having guideline parameters from someone who's you know, been skint and made some good money on how you can increase your prices. So here we go, bear with me as I delve into chapter 46 of the book Money. Title, pricing and value. Pricing and value can be a chicken and egg quandary for many people as it was for me as an artist. If you have low self-worth, your prices will likely be too low. If your prices are too high, sales will drop, as could your self-worth. If you increase the value, you could reduce the profit margin. If you increase price, you could reduce perceived value and you could lose the few customers that you have. So what do you do? Subtitle. Start with yourself. Work on yourself and your work on your money. Forgive yourself of your guilt and shame and um, envy and bitterness and all the past that's still unresolved. Forgive others who've wronged you or uh, hold, you hold angst towards and stop blaming them, stop blaming yourself. The people that you're blaming in your past, they did the best they could with what they knew. Stop fearing the future that hasn't happened yet. Remove self-imposed limitations and illusions or those imposed through religion, society, family, media, geography, etc. Continue to invest time and budget in your network and your net worth knowledge. subtitled Price, Elasticity, and Testing. There's a simple model for pricing in relation to value and fair exchange. The definition of price elasticity is, quotation marks, a measure of the effect of a price change or a change in the quantity supplied on the demand for a product or service. So there's a sweet spot in pricing between volume and margin where you get an optimum price without reducing scale. For every product and service, that's an unknown and ever-moving variable. There's a minimum, maximum and mean in your pricing, products and services. And you find these ranges through split price testing. We've been running one of our property courses since 2008. When it started, it was 1995 plus VAT. And that was including any discounts we might have given. So that was the the minimum price that someone could get. For that, you've got two days of specific property education or food, venue, networking. That's a £1,000 a day. Fast forward eight years, and this course has evolved progressively through testing, feedback, iteration and innovation into a four-day course with all the same benefits and added ones. Sorry, I've just had to correct my own spelling mistake there. And added ones. It's, so that means it's now £500 a day. So when you add inflation in, it's around one-third of the original price pound for pound. This could be a disaster if this was scaled, but stay with me here because there's more to the story. The natural next step after this property course is a support and mentoring program. When we introduced this in around 2009, it was also 1995 plus VAT, including any best discounts. And you got a full year's mentorship. You've got masterminding. You've got myself and my business partner, Mark Comer as the master mentor's. In the last seven years, this program has risen to five nine nine five plus that for what we call the gold level, with the best discounts you can get, and nineteen nine nine five plus that for the Rob and Mark level, including best discounts. And we're currently so- sold out at, at the very least nine months in advance. There's a nine month waiting list. So this is a price increase of thousand percent in seven years for the same relative product that was one nine nine five plus VAT seven years ago. So in this example, the course could not sustain price increases without diminishing the volume, but the mentorship and mastermind program seems to sell better and better and more in advance with a bigger waiting list, the higher the price becomes. We've still not found the price ceiling for the mentoring and mastermind program because obviously we've got a nine-month waiting list. We still haven't reduced the scale. And each time we sell out, we're also able to increase our price And we can keep doing that until the wait list gets down and demand diminishes. As we also increase our own value, the price goes up in accordance. Another interesting and enlightening factor to add into this equation is lifetime client value or LCV. So let's do some price test variables here. So split test number one. Imagine having 50 people at 1995 plus that to attend the masterclass course at a 10% profit. And then from those 50 people, 10 went on to attend the mastermind course at 59995 plus that at a 25% profit. So what you have is a two-stage lifetime client value revenue of 159,700 and two-stage lifetime client value profit at 24,737.50. Let's look at a different split test. So in this scenario we're upping the price of the first course. So 25 people at 2,995 attend the course. So that's um, 50% increase in course, which would probably mean you'd get about half the people attending. We've tested this before. So let me just say that again. 25 people at 2,995 plus that attend the course, and that's nearly 75,000 at a 20% profit margin. From those 25 people at the same conversion rates, five will go on to the mastermind course at 5,995 plus that which is virtually 30,000 at the 25% profit margin. So what you have here is 104,850 lifetime client value from a turnover point, And you have a 22,458 two-stage lifetime client value profit. So in these two split tests, split test number one at a smaller course cost increases the profit by 2,500 pounds. By the way, I've just said that bit. That's not actually word for word, but let's go back to word for word. So you can see how revenue and profits can increase with price testing and elasticity often counterintuitively by reducing prices earlier on in the sales process and increasing prices later in the sales process and by adapting the formats and delivery mechanisms. Some products, services or information will sell better altogether in different formats or have much higher price elasticity. So let me just go back to Offscript. So you want to test different prices of different courses, of different products, of different st- services, at different stages in the lifetime client value or the journey. Sometimes reducing earlier courses means they'll buy more and have a lifetime client value. So you want to test and play around with this price elasticity because you could have a much higher profit and a much l- longer client journey and a much higher overall client spend by reducing some of the prices, not increasing them. Okay, but you can take this a step further. So let's go to the next split test. And we're going to do a three-stage revenue model here. So we're going to go back to the original split test where we had 50 people at 1,995 plus VAT, which is nearly 100,000 at 10% profit. Same conversion, 10 of them do the master class, mastermind program at nearly 6,000 which is 60,000 uh, pounds, 25% profit. But then four people go from the mastermind program to the retreat. So we have a Cayman Legacy program which, you know, obviously we do once a month uh, once a year for a month in the Cayman Islands now. it's a lot more than this, but I'm just making the numbers easier for this example. So let's say four of them paid 9995, uh, 20% profit margin to do the retreat. So let's look at the numbers. You've got a 199600 three-stage lifetime client value turnover, so 200,000 turnover from those 50 people. And the three-stage lifetime client value profit is 32,733 pound 50. So split test number two, where the initial course is 3,000, not 2,000. Let's go to that example. 25 people at 2,995 is 75,000, about 20% profit margin. From those 25 on the same numbers, five people on the same conversions, five people attend the For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector, I'm a watch investor, and those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United, and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878 153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. Mastermind program at 5995 plus VAT. So that's £30,000 total at a 25% profit margin. Two of those on the same conversion rates will do the retreat at 995, 9995 plus VAT, 20% profit margin assumed. So the three-stage lifetime client value turnover is 124,840. The three-stage lifetime client value profit is 26,456.75. So let's just go back and compare those. Three-stage lifetime client value turnover on the the lower priced course, 2,000 not 3,000 on what we call the front end, is 200,000 compared to 125 of the second split test, when you up the price of the first course. And the profit on the three stage lower entry course cost is 32,733, whereas it's 26,456. And you could have four, five or six stages in the lifetime client value here. So when you're, when you're taking this, I'm now going, um, what's the word, off the script. When you're looking at all your products, services, information, ideas, models, lifetime client values for your own products and services, You wanna look at how you can put more products further down the line, reduce the prices at the start, increase the prices towards the end where there's more trust. The more trust you have, the more people will pay for your products and services. Okay, so back to script, back to the chapter. Look at all price test variables in your business model. Test the prices of the products at the front end to find the sweet spot between margin and volume. Then increase or reduce as you add further offerings onto the back end to increase lifetime client value, revenue, and profit. Some prices will be more fixed, others more variable, and some that seem to have little or no price ceiling at all. Subtitle, increase your prices. Your prices must be sustainable by covering all overhead and making a fair profit margin. The margin could be 40% on low volume, 20% on medium scale volume, and 5% on huge scale and volume. You must keep a close eye on all your KPIs, key performance indicators, to know your gross and net profit margins because you could be scaling a problem or a negative profit margin and compounding a loss. You need profit to serve your self-interest of building a capitalist profit-making entity, otherwise you're simply a hobby or a charity, so you need to be able to make profit and sustain it. You need profit to be able to offer and deliver a great service that people value and want to pay for and create the fair exchange. The market and your customers will soon tell you when you get greedy and you'll be drawn back into balance through feedback, reputational damage, associated costs of repairing the over-promising and the under-delivering, you'll have to increase the service, you might have to give money back, and you'll get overhead increase. Price testing would help you balance self-interest with humanitarian interest, but even without this testing, you could increase your prices now with no extra value proposition and with little to no risk of your business. I strongly recommend you raise your prices now between 5% and 20%. 5% will just about cover inflation, 10% will make a little, but 20% will enable you to reinvest part of the increased profit into a better service and more value, and part to make a more fair increased profit margin for yourself or your shareholders. The earlier and smaller the business and the more disruptive the market, the easier it is to push up the prices. Subtitle, 20% easy, 10% advisable. A 10% rise or decline in any price is palatable to most people. If you have a stock portfolio and it went up about 10%, you're not exactly going to go manic and jump for joy, but you wouldn't go into a deep, stupid depression if it dropped 10% either. You'd mostly accept without any strong emotion a 10% swing in prices, profits or losses. So why not put up your prices 10% right now? Here's how a 10% rise in prices affects your profit margins. Numbers before the price rise, turnover, £1 million, profit margin, 10%, profit amount at 10% profit margin, £100,000. Here's the numbers after the price rise, assuming no increased cost of the price rise or inflation, turnover, £1.1 profit margin after price rise, 18.8%, profit amount at 10% net margin, 200000 So, a 10% increase in prices takes profit margins from 10% to 18.8%, and profit amounts from 100 to 200. So, a 10% increase in prices doubles the amount of the profit that you make. You've almost doubled your net margin as a percentage by by increasing your prices by 10% from 10% to 18.18%, or an 81% increase in the profit margin and a 100% increase in the profit amount. Most customers, even if you did this, wouldn't bat an eyelid. So what's stopping you? Now let's look at the same numbers on a 20% price increase. Numbers before the price increase, same as before, 1 million turnover. Profit margin before price rise, 10%. Profit amount at 10%, 100,000. Numbers after price rise, assuming no increased costs or inflation. Turnover goes from 1 million to 1.2 million. Profit margin goes from 10% to 25%. And profit amount goes from 100,000 to 300,000. So, 20% increase in costs, and you've increased your net margin by 150%. And that's just a 20% increase in prices. You've increased your profit amount by a factor of three times. You've tripled your profits by adding just 20p in every pound or 20 cents in every dollar of price. This is significant. So, what's stopping you again? Subtitle, Increased Value Proposition. One of the things that could be stopping you increasing your prices is a perceived fear of losing your customers or complaints and perceptions of other people. This is quite a common objection, otherwise everyone would simply just go and increase their prices. So well done me, Rob the author for stating the obvious. But Rolex have no problem at all raising their prices. They're just about to announce an increase in prices by a a reputed 11%, so the forums are saying, in addition to that, they've brought out some higher level models like the Sky Dweller, which is, what, £25,000 plus, depending on the material and model. They've moved the positioning of one of their flag- flagship models, the Daytona, higher up. So when I bought my first the Rolex Daytona in 2008, I paid just over £5,000 for a three-year-old all-steel model. The new price of the equivalent all-steel Daytona is now £11,000. 300 euros which translates roughly to 10,200 pounds that's just eight years later so it's nearly doubled in just eight years and that's not just inflation that's a lot more than that so if you still have a perceived fear of raising your prices then do some elasticity testing or creep up the prices using a price escalation model where you bump them up gently and incrementally as you build confidence and proof I'm just going to go a bit off script here. We've done that with our mentoring program, our VIP program, the one I just mentioned in the example. It started at 2000, then 2005, then three, then three, five, then four, then four, four, five, then five, then five, five, then six. And each time we bump it up, when we feel the conversions are good or it wouldn't reduce the conversions too much as we bump the prices up, our confidence in our prices go up. Our confidence in ourselves goes up. We've we've got more margin so we can increase better value in a better location, better venue, better food, better experience, more knowledge, more research, more R&D. So it all becomes a, a virtuous cycle. Okay, back into the script. If you're still fighting with yourself to raise your prices, which I hope you've overcome, then increase the value proposition. Give more to get more. Analyze your model, products and services and look how you can do the following. One, give a better service. Two, make delivery faster, easier or better. Three, increase perceived value by giving highly perceived benefits that have little to no extra overhead cost to you. Four, repackage or sex up what you have already. Five, move the the free line. Okay, let's go to those in detail. Number one, give a better service. It is said that you don't get anything for nothing. So to force your prices up, give more first. Be careful not to give so much that you reduce or reverse your profit margin and make sure you maintain fair exchange. Give 10% more value and two to 5% more costs and you can easily sustain a 10% increase or more in prices with little to no attrition or fallout. Number two, make delivery faster, easier or better. People pay good money to relieve pain. The bigger, faster and easier the cure, the more they'll pay. So improve speed, efficiency and efficacy of your business and your prices will reflect the constant improvement. Number three, increase perceived value by giving highly perceived benefits that have little to no extra overhead cost to you. Value is a perception by an individual and not an absolute fact. There are likely many things you can add to your product or service that have little to no cost to you, but increase perceived value to your customer. You might recall when hotels started putting little chocolates on your pillow. Car manufacturers gave you free mats. which is just correcting one of my spelling mistakes here. Manufacturers gave you free mats with car purchases. Waitresses signed their name and wrote thank you on the receipt near the part where you're going to give your tip in. You could offer different formats of your products that are hosted online and have virtually no overhead. You could do limited editions of your products. You could create higher price, more bespoke uh, versions. Virgins, I was going to say. Then have some bespoke virgins. (laughs) Let me start that one again. You could create higher price, more bespoke versions to individualise your offerings, like Overfinch do with Range Rovers and Virtu do with phones. So brainstorm all the ways you could increase the perceived benefit to your clients and then go through each one and look at how you can do the... what I've just explained using creativity rather than costs. Increase the value proposition rather than increasing the cost. Number four, repackage or sex up what you already have. When you get an Apple product, the packaging is almost as worthy of pride of place as the product itself. I mean, it's beautiful, you know, it's like opening a Christmas present. The package of any product or service gives an impression that increases the perception and value to the customer. Many blind tests have proven this. So discover ways you can repackage what you have to give it a more elevated status and then elevate your prices to match. Number five, move the free line. The easier, faster, and higher volume of information we can access for free, the more you have to give for free to receive. This is called move the movement of the free line. You never get something for nothing, so the more you give first, the more you get later. Moving the free line give, means giving more value up front than you did previously to earn the right and build the trust for you and your first purchase, or their first purchase of your products or services, is there anything you can give as a product or as information upfront and for free? I mean, marketers use reports, ebooks, apps, etc., that will build trust prior usage and proof into your offer to build lifetime client value. A well-used but simple version is the free fudge you get when you go to, I don't know if you ever go to Cambridge. I love that. It's a beautiful city. You go there and you walk down opposite King's Cross College where you can see all the beautiful buildings and they're in the free fudge and you'd have a little sample and you come back with about 14 kilos of fudge. There's a fruit seller in my hometown that gives you a free big juicy strawberries. You never knew you wanted strawberries. You have a big juicy strawberry. You end up coming back with a punnet that you never came into town for. In the world of internet and information marketing, you could give valuable PDF ebooks, reports, audios, YouTube videos that build trust. If the free stuff is this good, if you make it great, then people think the paid stuff must be awesome. This podcast, for example, is free. There's no ads, there's no sales pitches, and it's generated hundreds of thousands of pounds of revenue for me not in, intending to do it as a revenue exercise. So how can you leverage these same models and systems in your own enterprise? Imagine if you implemented all five of these examples of ways to increase perceived value. If you just took each one and implemented a 4% incremental improvement in each one of those five areas, you can, there's your 20% increase in prices. So let me ask you again, what's stopping you? Subtitle, lower prices repel higher fees. Most people look at the customers, business and money that they may lose if they increase their prices, but fail to see the opposite truth. The fact is, your pricing is the main gateway to attract the type of customers and businesses that you're attracting. They say, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, and so it can be with your pricing. One of my greatest post-art revelations was that through my low pricing, I was actually attracting the type of buyer who could only afford what I was charging, or even a little bit less than that. I used to naively believe that there were no buyers in my shit shithole city, But the reality was I was repelling them all with my pricing strategy, i.e. they were too low. Would you see Roman Abramovich at the local blow-up dinghy shop? Would you see Lewis Hamilton at the local Lada car dealership? So how was I ever going to see discerning, well-financed art buyers looking at my work with my prices? They'd take one look at the prices and assume that my work was a very low level and standard. So my lack of self-worth was coming through my pricing. After all, no great artist with a life service to art would charge such a small amount that I was. Your fees attract the type of client with the amount of income and repel all the rest. If your fees are low, you're repelling a higher paying client. It is delusional to have low prices and wish for higher paying customers. You have to send them the right message. If your fees are high, they repel those who can't afford or justify the higher prices, which is a great pre-qualifier and time saver for you. You repel the window shoppers, time wasters and people who want a tenner for a fiver. You attract those who you who can easily afford what you have, are easier to please, value your service more and are more discerning and knowledgeable and have a great network who could become your clients and they could refer other people to you. If you're still full of doubt, you could create a higher version of your standard product. Toyota create, created Lexus, Armani created Collezioni. You could separate the brands to test a new higher pricing model and preserve your existing brand increase your fees attract higher paying clients and more wealth rich and margins so again let me ask you what's stopping you subtitle commodity pricing and market ceilings many people resist increasing prices citing that their market has a price ceiling they feel their niche has a clear price ceiling that can be exceeded that their market is mature saturated or commoditized where prices are standardized People make their outside world an internal reality. But who says an industry can't be disrupted? I mean, that's just opinion. You have three clear choices if you feel your niche is commoditized. And that is one of the three following choices. Choice number one, disrupt your niche and force prices and service upwards. Option number two, create a breakaway, higher priced brand. Option number three, get into a new niche. Number one, disrupt your niche and force prices and service upwards. Do you remember the days when you could get the top of the range Nokia or Samsung phone free with a one year contract if you paid a few extra pounds per month or took a few few more minutes in your service plan? Then the iPhone came along, disrupted the niche, gave more value, changed the perception of how much you'll pay for a phone completely. They took the phone to new heights. It did so much more than just calling or texting and they opened the floodgates for ever increasing prices. It is said that if you give £500 to a rich person, they could turn it into a million. And if you give £500 to a poor person, they will turn it into an iPhone. Apple literally changed the game in phones. They broke the pattern and they removed the price ceiling that was perceived uh, by the whole industry completely. Do you also remember the day when you bought a cheap practical vacuum cleaner that looked a bit like a Dalek, but did the job it was asked to do? Then Dyson came along. I recall very clearly going to see a good friend of mine who's very senior in the banking world. He's very well off, very successful. He invited me into his new house. I was excited to go and see him, his family and his new home. As he opened the door to invite us in, the first thing he did was to direct me into his store cupboard and show me his new digital bagless Dyson vacuum cleaner, like it was his newborn son. I don't ever recall him giving such pride of place to his 1980s Hoover. You can't get away with gimmicks or charging too much. Feedback from customers in the wider market will redress, will, redress, will redress this balance. Do not be concerned if you perceive that others are not giving fair exchange. They'll have their challenges and you should focus your own energy in serving yourself and your customers, followers and fans. In the instances of apple and dyson increased perceived and actual value was created life was made easier it was faster it was better time was preserved ergonomics and elegance were introduced into otherwise standard looking products care was taken to give people exactly what they wanted and to be able to leverage the product as an accessory to increase self-importance future prediction from me is that the next risk to apple's dominance will be if they can continue to innovate at the rate that Steve Jobs did, and how much they'll rely on past goodwill for future sales. If their new products are too expensive or aren't progressive enough, things may change for the most capitalised company in the world. Okay, number two, create a breakaway, higher-priced brand. To de-risk pricing mistakes, create extra income streams and test price elasticity, you can preserve your existing models or prices and attract higher-value customers by creating new ones. You could create different levels of service like uber created uber x uber xl uber select and uber pool this can disguise price increases and attract different customer segments and gain market share mars the chocolate brand lists 61 brands on their website honda created acura toyota created lexus and nissan created infinity to sell their cars in the us and european markets the origin of these cars when was intentionally kept ambiguous And they took a big chunk out of Lincoln and Cadillac in the U.S. market, where Japanese cars had not been as well received as American cars. New brands and different levels of products enable a more rapid expansion, higher margins, less risk of brand and reputational damage and upselling opportunities. Once I tested the Nissan 350Z a decade ago, I knew I had to move up to the GTR, which in a sense is a a different brand in its own right, despite it being nearly twice the price. BMW do the same with the M-Series, it's a slightly separate brand, and people even put the M badge on a non-M-Series car to give a higher perception of status. Number three, which I haven't written, written yet, by the way, to tell you this was a raw edit, was to get into a new niche. So if everything I've just explained, I mean, I've given you loads of different strategies of increasing your prices. If, I, if I'm still not getting through to you and you're still convinced you're in a hyper commoditized, mature, can't move your prices, archaic industry, then get into a new niche, get into a new industry, starting a new model. Subtitle, U rate versus the market rate. There is a market rate, which which can be more commoditized or standardized, like air travel and insurance, and there is a U-rate. Having already addressed that even commoditized markets can be disrupted and price ceilings can be broken through, like Apple and Dyson, U-rate has no ceiling whatsoever. Nowhere on earth is there a maximum hourly rate, a maximum net worth ceiling, or maximum value any one person can have or charge or be worth. There is literally no ceiling other than your self-imposed limitations of belief, self-worth and value. Ensure you add a maximum fair exchange U-rate into your market rate to achieve leverage value on your time, experience, and uniqueness. When a highly regarded watchmaker like Gerald Genta designs for a watch brand, it can elevate the status and value of the brand. He designed for IWC, Patek Philippe, and famously the Royal Oak design for Audemars Piguet, which are highly sought after and now very expensive. In brackets, addictive I might add, I know because I have many of them and the prices have gone crazy. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Shaquille O'Neal, Leo Messi and Michael Schumacher have all endorsed a model or range of Audemars Pigay. When Stella McCartney designed for H&M and Adidas, she elevated their brands, as did Jasper Conran when designing for and endorsing Debenhams. You can and should aim to have the same effect on your business and brands you are behind. Work on yourself and perpetually increase your U rate and not only will your prices continue to rise, but you will disrupt and innovate entire markets and set new pricing standards and perceptions that never even existed before, like Apple with phones and Dyson with with vacuum cleaners. If you're last, you'll miss all the margin. If you're first, you'll gain huge market share and mind space. You can also consider joint ventures with others who can increase the value perception of your brand like Arnold Schwarzenegger with Audemars Piguet. Subtitle. Your financial ceiling. How would Trump or Trump, how would Trump or a Trump, feel about having $1 million in the bank? Of course, a Trump would feel like they'd won the lottery and Trump would panic that he's badly into his overdraft. Your perception of what a lot of money is will become your financial ceiling, just like it would with Trump or Trump. who just have a different perception of uh, uh, what is a lot of money. 1,000 or 100,000 is not a lot of money. 1 million or 10 million or 100 million is not a lot of money. There are trillions flowing with great velocity around the world hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times so fast. 20% of people are controlling the velocity of 80% of the money. Remove your personal ceilings by turning scarcity thinking into an abundant mindset. There is enough. There is more than enough. You are more than enough. There is no niche or commoditized marketplace or economic cycle or low-paying customer that can define your own value. Each time you hear yourself say, that's a lot of money, check in and correct yourself. The future you or a billionaire will think it's just chump change. Like you would increase your weights at the gym, increase your personally limited financial ceiling. Subtitle, self-fulfilling pricing. As you operate under fair exchange, you increase your self-worth because you feel adequately remunerated for your time and work. And this in turn helps you increase your prices and value. Your gratitude will be reflected in your service and the gratitude of the customer will be reflected in more, in more purchases and referrals. You're able to make a fair profit, which means you can increase the scale of your service and reinvest back into quality and value. Furthermore, as you increase your prices and value, you attract a better quality of customer who values what you offer, is willing to pay more. What you appreciate, appreciates. As better quality people pay more and more, you can give and serve more, creating a virtuous cycle of growth and contribution, increasing the velocity of money and pushing your prices and values up again and again. I think I'm just going to add a and again. In Finally, quote, to finish this chapter and this podcast edition episode, find something you have a burning passion for, find a way to improve people's lives with it, then write huge invoices with a warm smile on your face. And that's one of mine. So I hope you enjoyed this rare chapter from Money The story in psychology, how to make more, grow more and give more. Please share your feedback. Let me know what you want more of, less of. What should I start, stop and keep on the Disruptive Entrepreneur? Make sure you're in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community. You know, this is not an advert for me, by the way. Don't turn this podcast off at this point because you've heard me say this before. This, This community is for you. There's no fees in it. There's no selling in it. It's just simply a community to get all the disruptive entrepreneurs in the 150 countries of subscribers we have now, all together disrupting, innovating, serving, creating, sharing, growing, making, giving. So thank you. This has been Rob Moore. And if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.